The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud. You're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Coming up on the program, it is our Teen Talk evening talking about a new empowering tool for uh, survivors of sexual assault. We'll be talking uh, with the founder of Us Too, a new database. Uh, we'll talk about uh, gender equality boosting teen contraceptive use. And have you ever played this game, Pick a Number? Apparently, teens are doing this on Instagram. We'll tell you more about that. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Remember, you can always email me, Lori at drlori.com. So a couple of leftover questions here. Um, what are the different, the different physiological effects between prolactin and oxytocin exactly? And I said I would look into it. Now, there's, it's very detailed uh, because, uh, first of all, uh, prolactin uh, has promotes lactation. That's what it is, so milk production, right? But it has 300 other functions in the body. So if you want to know more about that, yourhormones.info is a great website to find out about all the different functions of the hormones. So yourhormones.info. Oxytocin also has a role to play in uh, lactation, also released by the pituitary gland, but that one is responsible for behaviors that are associated with bonding, but it can also, you you can uh, inject oxytocin to induce contractions, for example, in a woman uh, who needs to go into labor to, to induce labor and contractions. So many different roles. Again, the website is yourhormones.info to get more information. 514-800, excuse me, if you want to text in your question. And anytime throughout the show, by the way, uh, at the end of the program, in the last few minutes, of the show, uh, I will uh, get to whatever other questions you have that are unrelated to tonight's topic, but uh, I'm certainly very happy to help you out. Uh, I'm not able to satisfy my partner. I ejaculate way too fast. How do I correct it? What should be the vegan diet and exercises to recover after ejaculation? I'm not sure what that second part of the question actually means. I'm not sure what you're trying to get at. And what do you mean by recovering after ejaculation? The refractory period, the recovery period is a natural process in the sexual response cycle. So I'm not quite sure what you mean. In terms of premature ejaculation, first we have to define what that is. Um, most men will ejaculate between two and five minutes of uh, of intercourse. Those under a minute would be considered definitely uh, premature. And uh, in terms of you're, you say you're not able to satisfy your partner, a lot of men think that if they last a whole lot longer with intercourse, that that will uh, produce an orgasm in their partner, except that you have to be aware that the majority of women need other kinds of stimulation in order to orgasm, which would not be part of uh, of intercourse. In fact, there's a saying that says premature ejaculators make better lovers. Why? Because they tend to spend far more time on play, uh, far more time 
uh, concerned with the, their partner's pleasure and make sure that their partners are pleasured during foreplay before they go in, have intercourse, and then ejaculate quickly. And then in that case, uh, women's, the women's needs are, are taken care of as well. So a couple of things is a, a problem for you. You could try exercises. So you'd have to practice stopping and starting. You have to become aware of that point of no return for yourself uh, and stop before you get to that point. You can use a numbing a numbing spray or cream, uh, which they sell, uh, which basically would numb the sensation. So it would make you far less sensitive, but that has its other, you know, has ups and downs as well. Uh, a third option would be to uh, get via prescription only a um, a very low dose of an antidepressant, which has been shown to induce the side effect of delaying ejaculation. So if none, nothing else works, then this is an option uh, that can also be uh be looked at, but you have to speak to your doctor about that first. All right. Uh, this came via email. I am a 48 year old male who has been dating a woman for three years now. Our sex life is active and is enjoyable. However, I don't find that I'm capable of finishing with her during intercourse. I lose sensitivity and must resort to other means to finish. This is concerning for me, but more so for her as she feels inadequate. I will tell you at this point that I am in the lifestyle and have been for a while. So lifestyle, for those who don't know, refers to the swinger lifestyle. Uh, I don't seem to have this loss of sensitivity when on a play date with other couples. I'm curious as to whether it might be the stimulation of having a different partner or whether or not my attraction to my current partner is just not as healthy as it could be. Please let me know your thoughts on this if you could. Um, it's a little hard to tell what's going on without having the whole story, but uh, I'll just you try a couple of hypotheses here. Um, it's possible that being with the same partner over the long term is not as arousing or exciting as being with a completely new partner, especially since this is something you've been practicing. So you've had uh, new partners come and go, right? Uh, but it also doesn't mean that it's anything your partner is doing, nor does it change how you uh, feel about her. But as far as attraction to your partner, you're the only one who knows what's in your head. Like, I don't know what's going on there, right? Sometimes we can be very attracted to our partner, but our bodies don't necessarily respond as we expect them to. If and now I'm thinking maybe another angle, um, has anything changed with your current partner? Like, is she lubricating more? Is she lubricating less? Is her vagina not as tight as it once was? I mean, aging does have an impact on the vagina uh, and the penis as well. Uh, so I think the bottom line is to find out what works for both of you without taking anything too personally because it, it really, it may not have anything to do with adequacy at all, but something that is simply something that is happening, whether you're not getting the, the, the stimulation you once were, whether it's not enough stimulation. So you have to kind of talk it through and, and figure it out together. Can having sex with a virgin while yourself being a virgin 
are you able to get uh, chlamydia is the uh, the question that somebody wants answered. So if your partner has engaged in other forms of genital sexuality, meaning like oral sex, for example, then they could have contracted some uh, sexually transmitted infection. But if neither of you have had any sexual contact at all, meaning no action below the belt, uh, then unlikely that uh, either of you would get anything. Remember that infections are passed on when you come in contact with bodily fluids of an infected person. But not just that, HPV and herpes can be passed on from skin-to-skin contact. But it's skin-to-skin genital contact. Uh, And few people actually realize this, but you can also get an STI in your eye. In your eye, if you touch your eye after coming into contact with infected bodily fluids. So you always have to make sure you wash your hands. Uh, Safe sex is something that should be practiced all the time. uh, And not just for STIs, but you want to protect yourself from an unplanned pregnancy. So you also want to consider birth control. When you're going to become sexual with somebody, you both of you have to have the discussion uh, about birth control. Don't wait until something happens and then you have to think about it. So, um, and remember, you can get pregnant the first time you have sex. A lot of teenagers, a lot of young people think you can't, but yes, you can. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk about a new empowering tool for survivors of sexual assault and harassment, especially useful uh, for students. The founder of Us Too will be in studio with us along with uh, our other Teen Talk uh, panelists. We'll talk about gender equality and uh, teen contraceptive use and whatever other topics come up that has to do with uh, teen sexuality. We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, uh, Teen Talk, we're going to talk about a a new tool. Basically, it's a a reporting database for sexual abuse survivors. So interesting. Uh, We've got in studio with us Tanya Demore. She's a community sexual health advocate. We have Desiree Shakir. She is a family life educator and a sex uh, sexual health educator in a private school. And Tanya Zidel, who is a nurse and the founder of Us Too, this reporting database that we are going to talk about tonight. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me here. So you're going to tell us about this because I've I've been following, of course, uh, since the beginning, the development of this. Uh, Tell us how this all started. So I myself, I'm a survivor of sexual assault, and I found that um, even though I did everything right, where I was like, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, you know, you go and get a rape kit, and you get counseling, and you tell the police, and you take all the steps that you're supposed to take, but I found that it still didn't get me anywhere, and it was very Mm. disempowering. And so I wanted to create a solution for all survivors where if they wanted to go ahead and talk to a police investigator or a lawyer or a therapist or or just join a survivor group, whatever they wanted to do for their personal journey of healing, that would be at their fingertips. And so that's why I created us2.ca. But you also talk about um, that it's a reporting database. What does that mean exactly? So it also legally empowers people when they go ahead and, and put information within our system. So 
A, they can report anonymously and just kind of create data that can help their communities of locations where sexual assaults occur or harassment. Mm. Um, and B, people can actually put in an entire report and then get back information stating this is a, a repeat aggressor according to our system and therefore we can connect you with someone to take this further either criminally or civilly or you can just talk to a therapist about it but that's really healing for people to know like this wasn't me this wasn't my fault this person did it to somebody else and it's kind of further validation when there is a repeat offender. Will this lead to uh, convictions or like what? what's the hope here? Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to uh, going to court, it definitely does help when you have enough evidence to prove that there was more victims, so multiple victims uh, of sexual abuse. It helps more civilly than it does criminally. Um, but either way, it's definitely a lot more empowering. Is there a fear that uh, people will falsely report or out people because they want to get back at them, for example? Because you're, you're mm -hmm. are you allowing people to put the names of like That's this person did this to me? Exactly. We get that question a lot because people are like, if we put this person's name in the system, what's going to happen? And the answer is nothing happens. You get contacted and say, you know, this person was reported before uh, and therefore you should talk to this specific therapist, lawyer or police investigator and take it from there. So nobody actually gets any of that data except for you. It's very closed and private. But you see everything. Like no. the, the who see so how does that how does that work like so the data analysis is done uh -huh. um, and after that like it's not even kept so we keep what we need and we don't keep what we don't need it's fascinating I, I like I'm not very tech savvy so mm -hmm. to know how all of this works I don't know the other two our other two panelists here do you, do, do you have any questions like how this works like I yeah I think I think we live in a day and age where the big concern is data security and people. Exactly reporting are going to want to know, is my data protected? Is this anonymous? I can give you my name for this report, but you're not going to share that with anyone. And, and how is that stored? And what's what's my kind of sense of security afterwards with my information? Good question. So it is encrypted. Um, so it's definitely stored encrypted and it's safe and secure and not shared with anybody. And in order to help facilitate anonymous reporting, that's also something we offer where you don't even have to put in your identity if you don't want to. But you'll get Let's say you put it, let's say you were assaulted on campus and you, you say, okay, I was assaulted on this corner by somebody who looked like this. Uh, and then someone else reports it. Do those two people get connected? Like what happens after that? So they'll both get, uh, informed. You have both reported the same location and do you want to connect with the same therapist, lawyer, police investigator? It's really connecting you with local resources of how do you want to deal with this? And that could just be like saying, Hey, me and another student reported an assault within this specific lo location on campus. And now we want to talk to the security on campus about it and say, Hey, listen, it happened to both of us. And that's cool. That's great. Okay, so it's connecting people as well, right? Not so, directly to each other, but to the same professional. To the same professional. Okay, so it still keeps the the, the exactly. anonymity there. Yeah. Can you? It sounds like that could be a really powerful tool, especially with what we see on campuses now with McGill and Concordia, what's come out in the news recently, Definitely. where there's people reporting and coming out and saying this happens on campus a lot more than what's reported. I think having some sort of demographic data to say, you know, 
listen, like 10 people came forward within the span of a year, all on campus that attended like these same types of events or whatever. And this is where it's going on. And then maybe that has an impact on the school and how they run, you know, their security or their surveillance at these types of a hundred percent. And we've actually gotten a lot of reports already from Montreal students, including, you know, many universities. And that's a big point that you mentioned. Like the more, first of all, there's no anonymous reporting or even online reporting at this time. So we're able to offer that solution. And that's true. That yeah. it doesn't exist. This is like the exactly. first of its kind. How has it been received? Um, with a lot of questions, okay. but with also a lot of relief, like people are like, oh my goodness, like I can go ahead and use this and there's no cost to me. Cause up until now there's a big cost to reporting, which is unfortunate. You have to identify yourself. You have to go through the motions of talking about your story over and over. And also the statistical probability of getting whatever justice that you're going for is pretty low. So we're really yeah. helping with all of those different and, aspects. And this should be also very helpful for high school because some of the girls are very embarrassed uh, and they don't want to talk about it. So that may be a great tool to them, mm -hmm. you know. That's true too, to alert, uh, especially if it happens within, yeah, within a high school and it's one or two people doing, you know, maybe harassing or, or what have you, that they have a place to do it so that the school could then be alerted and the school could can do action. something yeah. without identifying necessarily exactly. who the victims are. Yeah. And that's why we're actually uh, calling up schools right now and universities and saying, and shelters as well, and saying, hey, we can put this on your website for free and try it out. See how you like it. See how you feel about it. And the survivors that report get the full control over saying, you know, I want this report to go to my school and I want them to know about this. So it's really giving all choice to survivor and all empowerment to schools to create safer spaces. And you have professionals who are working. Yeah with you on this like partners partnered up with you amazing we have uh, like lawyers that we've consulted with in civil criminal privacy law uh we have warwick walton who has been helping the whole way through and he's a mcgill law graduate uh we have therapists and counselors walking us through this it's been amazing wow. this yeah. is a huge a project yeah. I think what's really cool too is if we look at the way people consume data and how they use technology now, you're not going to necessarily call someone and seek information. You're not necessarily going to walk into a police office, but having something accessible on your phone, on your device that you have with you, in some cases, even right after an assault occurs, you can, you can search that data. It's easily accessible. I think that's kind of the way of the future because that's what people are going to turn to more so than previous methods of reporting. That's that's quite true. But this texter writes, this sounds to me like a system that is open to abuse. So how do you um, safeguard against that? So everything is encrypted. The information isn't going anywhere. And if let's say you say the worst case scenario happens and three people falsely report somebody, what happens is it usually goes to uh, the person in charge of taking responsibility for that and saying, okay, we are in charge of responding to these reports. Now they sit down with those survivors who identify themselves and say, okay, now where's the evidence? Show me text messages, show me emails, show me any sense of evidence that this happened. And especially if we're taking it to civil or criminal, right? there's nothing, right? And that's also a crime to falsely report something and then show up at the police station and say, hey, you know, I don't have any evidence. And right. So it's really not a big risk of 
So there would have to be, it has to be followed up. So if yes. three friends decide, oh, we're going to let, let's uh, make this guy's life miserable and, and, and we'll all report this. It doesn't instantly you mean. You sit down, exactly. Right. And you nobody sees that. Nobody actually. Exactly. Okay. It's private. You sit down in a room with somebody that has to keep that confidential and you need to sit there. And unfortunately, this is what every survivor goes through. It's, it's, it's about, hey, how can you prove that this happened? How can you prove your, prove your case? And so, you know, the same thing happens for them. Right. So, which is important to, to, you still have, we still have to safeguard from anybody you misusing this kind of, uh, of reporting. It's kind of impossible to misuse it because it just lines you up in the same room with the same person trying to prove your case in, in private. So it doesn't okay. So really... this really just connects you with the right help with the right professional. It's so, not a, exactly. it's not like a registry, no. you know, it's, it's like a, like an offenders registry exactly. where I'm going to go, you know, look Check up out. whoever, whoever yeah. it is. So that exactly. it's not that. Okay. Exactly. It has to be very clear that, that that's not what it becomes. And 100%. It's, it's really there to provide the resources for people who are maybe afraid. And as, as uh, Tanya Demore was saying that we don't have, like this is the way people are are accessing now yeah. is through the internet these, and yeah. and what have you. So yeah, and if social you report media. Some, sorry, not social media. You're right. Yeah, through social media. Uh, my guests tonight on our Teen Talk panel: Tanya Demore, Tanya Zidel, and Desiree Shakir, uh, talking uh, Teen Talk. Uh, coming up, we'll talk about uh, gender equality and teen contraceptive use and uh plus this other uh interesting thing pick a number yeah you pick a number i'll tell you how many numbers there are and what those numbers mean uh, after we check in with our cjd 800 newsroom the following program contains mature subject matter listener discretion is advised this is passion with dr Lori batito on cjad 800 Pick a number, any number. No, no, this is very specific. So our Teen Talk panel tonight, Tanya Demore, community sexual health advocate, Desiree Shakir, family life educator in a private school, and Tanya Zidal, who's a nurse and founder of Us Too, a reporting database for sexual abuse survivors and help, us2.ca. Uh, so Desiree brings this to my attention. Uh, she works with students all the time. She's totally plugged in. Uh, somebody came to her age of 13, right, Desiree? Correct. Age, 13 age 13 came to her with this list, said, um, this boy sent me this through Instagram and it was a pick a number and the numbers go from one to 46 because I want to get to know you. So, okay. You know, number one, age, number two, height, favorite song, favorite movie, uh, then we go to uh, number 20. Did you ever cheat on someone? We're talking a 13-year-old here. Uh, then we go to what is your darkest secret? What is the wildest thing you've ever done sexually? sexually? Uh, number 31, what's the wildest place you had sex? Um, have you ever sent a nude picture? And then number 44 says, send me a pic of my choice. You cannot say no. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, another one says, do you think I'm effable? Uh, 
Uh, and then uh, what's your favorite sex position? I'm like, okay, the first five, I can, six, ten, I, I can deal even with. Even number ten, even but, twenty. But after that, it's, it's... It's like, whoa. So what what did you what did you make of all of this? You know, it's really, I, what I made of this is I realized they're starting at a very young age to start to date through social media. Mm-hmm. And they're getting pressured by the reality, is this dating? And I have to bring them down to earth and say, this is not reality. Okay. And first of all, these questions for a 13 year old, you know, she was like uh, very baffling. Nerv- I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah. She was very nervous and she just said, well, do I have to them? I said, no, you don't. She even doubted herself to find out, do I have to answer them? And I said, how do you feel about it? She says, well, I don't want to be. And, and, and then she also, the word being still a virgin and not being sexually active is like, she didn't want to show that she wasn't sexually active like she wanted to be more mature than a 13 year old but in reality she's only she, a kid right 13 years old what does she said, know of positions and and, and, and then whatever what I said, else absolutely not you don't have to answer any of these questions and they're very inappropriate some of them and i i can feel that she was relieved that she didn't have to do this but it's sad that she questioned herself. I'm so glad that she actually spoke to you about Absolutely. it. So imagine if she hadn't spoken to you about it and was ruminating with this and then decided, okay, I'll answer whatever, all right. of them. And my fear is, of course, okay, so let's say this is done through private messaging, I'm, I'm assuming. Correct. But yes. private messaging, somebody can take a, a, a screenshot, a, a screenshot your Absolutely. name appears and then spread that around like this is dangerous ground here the worst one that that i really think that's really more dangerous is the nudes for some reason we tell all students please do not send any nudes through social media and they do send they them they still do it they still do it and then the screenshot starts and then then they delete it you know they keep it and then they delete it but they still have a, a somebody know, has it somebody has it and <laughs> someone will, and then they they're devastated that someone, their picture is roaming around, but I said, you send it, you know, right. you started. So really we, even though we repeat, do not send nudes, no matter what, especially, but, but the funny thing, do you notice that, that number 44, you cannot say no. It's like a controlling already yeah. a control feature right. at the age of 13, 14 years old. So that's why I'm happy that we have a conversation. That's why it's important that the sex ed program in the schools are there. So the kids know they can go and ask these questions. So that really helps. Really scary. Yeah. I don't, the thing with this is that I, I think the platform has changed and now maybe it's on, you know, on Instagram in a DM, but I think this, this has existed in different formats as technology evolves. So if you look at like before that it was MSN and you still had your webcam and you could still do kind of those things. If we're talking about nudes and like things like that, that people are sending to each other. It wasn't exactly the same. Like you'd have to screen capture your whole screen. Right. And like get it was a bit different. Yes. It was a lot harder but at the time. I think it just stems from adolescent, like even in some cases, young adolescent curiosity, just about what they're seeing either in pornography, on TV, in movies, what their friends are talking about, what their old, older siblings are talking about. So they're, they have this curiosity. Now they have access to the internet. So they probably Googled it, came up with this list, thought it was like really interesting because they could get that curiosity like answered by sending that to someone and then sending it over. So I don't know if inherently the intention was negative per se. I'd like okay. to give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> because these yeah, we things tend have to happened. Vi- we tend to vilify teenagers, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, and we really, 
we shouldn't because there there is a, a there is a natural curiosity. I don't mm-hmm. care whether yeah. you were a teenager fifty years ago or now. You're still all, curious. They're... All teenagers are curious They're about absolutely. sexuality, yeah. and it's just that it's changing. It's changing forms a bit because the yeah. accessibility to information is so different, right? Yeah. I think it's actually really healthy because now you see this girl, she came up to you and she's like, oh, I have some doubts about this. So now we're able to do everything over our phones, meaning there's a lot more distance than someone being in the same room as you and then you having to find out what your boundaries are then. So in a sense, doing all of this over our phone, okay, if you mess up, you messed up over the phone. You know, so it's nice to be able to like explore your boundaries with a bit more distance. So in in a sense, that is safer. Yeah, there's that, but there's also the fear that people aren't expressing, like they're not setting their boundaries. They're not learning how to set their boundaries properly either. Also, what I find is that they're having difficulty to communicate one-on-one when they meet that individual because a lot of things are going through the phone and they're losing the la- they're losing the skill of communication. Absolutely. I, that I noticed that as well. It's like, I can't talk to them in real life. Like, why don't they you can't. call them, honey? I'll call them. I'm not, I can't speak to them, but you've been having this texting relation. What do you mean you can't, can't call talk. them or yeah. talk to them at school? That's right. You yeah. Know? But I mean, they're also 13, so that awkwardness is inherent, right? Yes. So you yeah, that's you. true too. You're not talking about a 16, 17 year old that's dating. You're take, talking about, in some cases, someone's first experience. Right. Just being interested in someone. This. Exactly. So right. I think that we have to look at it objectively. Like, a lot of times I think we scare ourselves. We're like, oh my God, technology and all these things going on. But it's not new per se. It's just a new format. And I think that that's where it's our job as sex educators to come in and say, hey, you know what? Like, let's talk about consent. Let's talk about consent in a digital world. Let's yeah. talk about social media and what can happen. What are the repercussions if we do share pictures? Or what do we do if something exactly. was shared, you know, against our consent? And like, how do we approach that? And that's an educational tool that we can use and empower people with. Mm-hmm. And that's an, an absolute necessity in this day and age, which is where Consent. sex education has changed because we now have to talk about this and we have to talk about digital consent and and, and in every aspect that, that consent is. Like receiving uh, a, a naked picture of somebody without the, without your consent is a form of sexual harassment today. Right, you're like we heard, we heard about like people um, drop uh, what do you call it? air dropping like you know dick pics on the metro for example <laughs> like you have to learn how to protect yourself totally from right. you know only accepting air drop from <laughs> friends but you need to know about the setting and but and you're getting and you don't know who's sending it in a metro you're like looking around who the heck oh, is no. sending me this because you see the picture pop up before yeah. you say, say accept or not like this is a a whole new form of sexual harassment. Very. Like it you is. wouldn't think of this, yeah. but the landscape is definitely changing. Uh, our teen talk panel will continue. We discuss a uh, teen contraceptive use. A new study uh, published uh, looks at the, the um, relationship between gender equity and teen contraceptive use. Plus, if you have any questions, re- just general questions about sex and relationships, I'll save the last few minutes to answer them here at 514-800. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJAD 800. 
Last couple of minutes here with our Teen Talk panel. Tanya Damore, community sexual health advocate. Desiree Shakir, family life educator. Tanya Zidel, a nurse and founder of us2.com, talking about uh, things related to uh, teenage sexuality. So I wanted to share with you a new study published in the Perspectives on Sexual and Reproductive Health um, that has shown, well, previous research has shown uh, a trend among adults. This study uh, examined a link in teenagers uh, looking at gender equity, which is reflected in greater use of contraceptives among its adolescents. So um, many developed countries, by the way, still have very high teen pregnancy rates. And these are often associated with poverty, uh, but hugely important social factors, including including lack of female empowerment. And this is something that tends to be uh, neglected. So the authors looked at nationally representative data from Canada, Israel, and 31 European countries that participated in this like huge, uh, huge uh, health behavior in, in school-age children's survey. And then they compared data on use of condoms and birth control pills among sexually active teenagers 14 to 16. Um, and then they also measured uh, gender equality based on economic uh, participation and opportunity, educational attainment, health and survival, political empowerment, like globally, they looked at that. Uh, overall, half of the more than 8,000 uh, respondents had used a condom at last intercourse. 11% had used the pill, 21% had used both, 19% had used no method. The higher the country's gender equality score, the more likely teens were to report use of contraception, especially uh, the pill. The authors conclude that Increasing safer sex practices among adolescents requires far more than just targeted family planning programs. To maximize contraceptive uptake, governments must also work to overturn sexist policies expectations and attitudes. Does this surprise anybody? No. no. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's to empower women. The more you empower women, the better it will be. You know. Yeah. I mean, so I saw a similar thing, not an academic study, but it was um, an interviewer who went and interviewed a bunch of kids in Sweden um, where there's a lot more gender equity. And yeah. what they found was they, they were asking the kids, well, why would you use a condom and why is it important to use a condom? And the little boys that they were interviewing, some as I think the youngest one was about 13 or 14, was saying, well, I respect her. Like, I, I respect her. Why wouldn't I? And it was just like not even a question that you wouldn't do that for your partner. So I, I find that very interesting when you look at some of the commentary from other countries that maybe don't have that same kind of equity and the the reaction to that question. Like you're you're seeing it as a burden because you have to use a condom rather than. I want to treat her right by protecting her by using a condom. Right, which isn't that at all. Uh, often young men are like, if they can get away with not exactly. using mm -hmm. a condom, now they will. I'm teaching co-ed, and uh, the boy said, if the girl doesn't bring it up, I won't bring it up. So they won't use a condom. So they're not even concerned, no. even about pregnancy. Imagine that they're not concerned and that's that sad. they could make her pregnant. We talk about... Uh, teen pregnancy like we talk about her getting pregnant but we don't talk about who impregnates who right well I think also the problem is we assume that in that situation it's the girl's responsibility to take some sort of pill or IUD or implant or whatever it is to prevent pregnancy and the onus is not on him to have any participation exactly. in preventing that pregnancy so you know I think the, the values and the ideas behind it are what 
contributes to you wanting to use a condom. Yeah, versus which not. is very interesting because you still have to have conversations with boys. And I've seen this situation happen where a 15 year old boy got a girl pregnant and she decided to keep the baby. And now he was 15 and a father. Yeah. And he yeah. had no say in the matter. None. Exactly. Zero. No well, choice. That's what he did. He he took no decision to actually protect anybody. And that's what happens. Like, welcome to science. Yeah. Well, and, and not even protecting himself, like making the assumption that, right. well, it's her body. She'll take care of it. End of story. Right. And I've, from now that I've, my school came to be co-ed, I'm starting to give out condoms and the boys do come and get them, which I'm really proud. And they, they're happy that it's accessible because sometimes what's happening with sex ed, people are teaching about sexuality, but sometimes they are not offering the condoms to the boys. Uh, and also to the girls, either girl or boy can come. I said, either one can come and get condoms. Absolutely. In my yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Tanya Zidel. Now, if people want to find out more about us too, how do they do that? So us too is a one-stop app to empower survivors of sexual assault, harassment, and abuse, abuse in general. That also includes, includes discrimination and bullying as well. Okay. So it's really just pointing survivors towards resources, uh, whether it's therapy or legal help. Uh, and it's all within their control. How do they get it on the app store? All, or no, it's, it's so easy. No. They don't. Okay. Have, they don't have to download anything. <laughs> oh. They just go to us two dot care. So it's u s t o o dot c a r e us two dot care. Oh, because okay. we care. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's it. Us two dot care. All right, wonderful. Thank you, uh, Tanya Demore. Thank you very much for being with us always on Teen Talk and Desiree Shakir. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work educating your uh, your teenagers. Very much thank appreciate you. it. Uh, time to answer a couple of leftover questions here. Uh, this uh, emailer writes: I have a couple of questions. I haven't uh, really ever given oral sex before or being sexually active like real sex, you know, but I feel that I'm ready to take my relationship to the next level. This sounds like a teenager. I really do want to pleasure my boyfriend in every aspect, but I feel shy to ask him if I can give him oral sex. Uh, please keep in mind that he doesn't get bothered by the fact that we don't have sex, even though we've been going out now for a year. He does play with me and stimulates me too, but I just feel shy to ask if I can do the same uh, for me. Uh, if you can help me with that, I'd be so thankful. Uh, so, okay. Um, well, part of a, a healthy sex life is obviously being able to discuss sexuality with your partner. So if anytime you want to try something new, something new to you, something new to your partner, then you tell your partner that you would like to. Maybe say something like, how would you like it if, or how would you feel if I performed oral sex on you? So part of being sexual and having that healthy sex life is really learning how to have open discussions about sexuality, talking about your needs, talking about your partner's needs, what they like, what they don't like, and discovering that. Sometimes when you're just newly sexual, you want to discover that and you can discover that uh, together. Another question on, uh, oh, I guess I don't have time for that question. All right, it'll be the first question off the top tomorrow because that music means time for me to uh, exit and leave the chair for others. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you so much for spending your uh, precious time with me. Thanks to uh, Dave Simon, our technical producer. If you want to connect with me on social media, you could do that at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. 
Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. All the news you need right here. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.